0: All right, guys, let's get started. Thank you for being here. Welcome to our first night of Bellevue Men. Uh, Excited that you are here and uh, excited for what the Lord may do. I've been praying for this night because as uh, Noah and I were having conversations about what we would talk about this semester, this book, Total Forgiveness, is what kind of came to the forefront of our conversation. Um, you do not have to buy a copy of this book. Uh, The bookstore has been gracious to sell those for $10. You can get them back there if you want, but uh, I'll just give you just a little bit about it here in just a couple minutes. Just so you know, I was given this book on a Thursday morning, and when I went home after my family went to bed, I started reading it, and I read it till early in the morning. I read the whole thing. And uh, the whole idea of have you totally forgiven, I was like, yeah, there's nobody in my past, nobody present that I've not forgiven I got through chapter two and I was like, "Well, that ain't true," <laughs> because what he's talking about is so much deeper than the words "I forgive you." And so I'm excited about this. Uh, but you know, as as I was thinking about it, we're going to use this kind of as a guide for the semester. But it never, no book we ever use is going to overpower this. So we're going to spend a lot of time in here. There's a lot of stories all throughout God's word on forgiveness. I mean, Jesus on the cross—how can you get much better than that? I was thinking this week of that last chapter in Genesis where uh, Joseph completely forgave his brothers. They were scared. Their daddy had died. And uh, they had said, look, please forgive us. And he said, it's forgiven. What you meant for evil, God's meant for good. There's all these incredible stories, I think of David in Psalm 51, where he asks for forgiveness, and the Lord grants it to him, and later on says he's a man after God's own heart. So we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about what it looks like. We're gonna talk about what it is. He spends some time in the book talking about what total forgiveness is not, because we kind of, build this picture in our minds of what we think it's going to be like. Well, if somebody's hurt me deeply and I forgive them, does it mean I've got to go on vacation with them or spend time with them? Not, not necessarily. You can forgive. So we're going to talk through all of those things. And what, I, what I'm hoping will happen is two things. One, if there's anybody in your past or anybody that's presently that, you, that has hurt you specifically, that has been a really difficult process for you to work through and deal with. Like there may be guys sitting here at tables, and I would say probably most of all of us, may have some type of father wound, some type of something that happened with us and our dad. How do we deal with that? Maybe something that happened with our mother. Maybe it's something that happened with another family member. Maybe it's something happened with a close friend. Maybe it's something happened with a girlfriend years ago, but there's something that potentially has hurt you and has been a process for you to walk through. And what does our culture say as men? Uh, Well, you just got to get over it. You just got to man up and move on. But I think biblically, when we look at Scripture, there's a process for us to walk through and for us to deal with that and for us to understand what forgiveness is. Jesus Christ offers us the greatest gift of forgiveness that has ever been offered. He's offered us this gift of forgiveness so that you and I can experience in eternity with him forever and ever. And I think that we can take that, we can learn from it, we can pull some stuff from it, and we can apply it to our lives. And so I'm asking the Lord, if in my own life or in anybody in this room, if there's someone in your past that you've been unable to forgive or potentially unwilling to forgive, that the Lord would help you work through that during this semester as we walk through this book. And then the other thing that I've been praying is that the Lord would draw us closer to himself as we look at this word forgiveness. Because when you really stop and think about what he's done for us on the cross, when you really stop and let your mind just for a moment really think about what you and I actually deserve, for our sin. The Bible says everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what God has says our our payment, our punishment for that sin is an eternity separated from him forever and ever. But yet God offers this gift of forgiveness. When you stop and think about that, it can't help but draw you closer to the Lord. And so I'm asking the Lord just to grow our relationship, that we would be more intimate with the Lord as we come out of this semester. So over the next 11 weeks, we're gonna spend some time specifically looking at that. Well, You know, uh, at Bellevue Men, we spend some time doing table discussions. We've got a few different discussions we want to do tonight. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to turn over the table. Some of you know each other really well. Some of you don't. And so what we'll do is we'll just do some introductions around the table, get to know the guys at the table a little bit, and then we'll come back to the platform, do a little teaching, and then another table discussion. So let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. Thank you that, uh, Lord, you've offered us the greatest gift that could ever be offered. You offered us your son who died on a cross to pay the ultimate price, Lord, of forgiveness for our sins. Lord, you would pay that debt. And Lord, if we'll receive that, Lord, you'll save us. Lord, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that when you were on the cross, you were there for us. And Lord, I just pray for each one of the men in this room. God, if there's anybody that doesn't know you, I pray you'll draw them to yourself, and Lord, they'll give their lives over to you. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that has struggled with forgiving someone, maybe in their past, or maybe someone that they deal with on a day-to-day basis today, maybe it's a family member or a coworker, or a friend, God, I pray you'll help them work through that and that they will be able to release that over to you. So Lord, thank you for the time we have together. Bless these men. We love you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. All right, here's what we're going to do. We jump to the table, just a couple things. Go around the table, take a few minutes. This is not like your whole life story, okay? This is you tell your name, tell something about your family, tell what you do for a living, how long you've been at Bellevue, and something interesting about yourself. So that's like 60 seconds a person, okay? Ready, set, go. I want to give you, if you came to Awesome August, I love to hear the conversation around the tables. If you came to Awesome August, you would have heard this guy speak the very last Wednesday night. And he actually spoke on this topic of total forgiveness. I want to give you just a little bit of information about him, because I think it sets up kind of where he's coming from when he wrote this book. Uh, His name's R.T. Kendall. Uh, He's 87 years old. Uh, He's been married for 64 years. Anytime I hear that, I I hear there's a lot of wisdom in this guy right here, okay? Uh, He's got two children. He pastored Westminster Chapel in London for over 25 years, an incredible church, incredible pastors that a preached There, he's got like five, six degrees. I mean, the guy's just as smart as anybody. He's he's written over 50 books. He wrote this book, and it reminded me of a quote that uh, that uh, Brother Steve used uh, a couple. You've, you've probably heard him say it a couple times. I'm going to throw it up here real quick. It's he said, Brother Steve said, bitterness places you in a prison you built, not the other person. So we have this idea, when I don't forgive somebody, it's going to affect them, but what it actually does is it affects us. And what had happened with uh, R.T. Kendall, when he began to write this book, he tells this story in there that you'll read about somebody that had hurt him, and and he was really unwilling to forgive for a while, and this guy kind of walks him through this process. A lot of times when you read a book, you'll take two or three nuggets away from that book, and you may even put together 12 to 14 sentences that you just think, man, those are powerhouse words right there. Every page has that. And as I read it, the Lord just kept digging and digging and digging into my own heart and saying, are, have you been willing to forgive completely and totally? So I was reminded of Jesus on the cross. I want you to picture this. Jesus has come to earth. He's lived his 33 years. He has stood before uh, all kinds of people at this point, he has uh, t- taken and carried the cross up the hill to Golgotha. He has already been whipped 39 times. Uh, they tell us that they ripped his beard and hair out. Historians tell us that when somebody was beaten like that at that time, that you would actually be able to see some of their organs because their flesh had literally been stripped away. And, and they would tell us that he was naked i want you to think about the humility how i mean just 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 humiliating that would be he's naked his his beard and his hair have been ripped out he's been beaten to almost death these guys have held him down i, I don't believe they i don't believe he fought it i don't think you know physically he really had any strength to fight against them but i think spiritually he's just on a different level I mean, he knew what he was going to do. He was about the Father's business. He had already prayed in the garden, Lord, If there's any, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but there was no other way. The only opportunity for you and I to, to, to have an eternity with the Lord forever was for him to go to the cross and die that horrific death. And while he's on the cross, It says that they were uh, casting lots right below him. So they were trying to get his clothing as like a, a trophy, that they were a part of the day that they had put Jesus to death. I want you to think about this. That he's on the cross within an inch of death. And these are the words that Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots Right below where he was, they're casting lots. They're, they're gambling over his clothing. The guys that had beaten him, the guys that had nailed him to the cross. And yet, while on the cross, he's offering this forgiveness to these guys below him. I, I just think, wow, that he would forgive you and I for the sin that we've caused against him. But you know, when we look at that, we say, well, that's great, but that's Jesus you know, he, he's God, he can, he can do that. I, I'm, not, I, I'm a finite being, I, it's really difficult. When somebody cuts you really deep, it's difficult to forgive. Well, the Bible calls us to do so, so the question is, what are we going to do with that? Well, R.T. says in this introductory chapter, he says, I rationalized my attitude and behavior. This is what the devil likes to do. He likes to come to you and say, yeah, you don't have to forgive them because. And he begins building this in your mind of why you do not owe them forgiveness. And so you go back to that quote from Brother Steve that says, if you build this cage of bitterness, you're caging up yourself, not the other person. And what we think is, we rationalize, well, it's going to hurt them. It's going to affect them. It's going to punish them. But in reality, it really messes us up. And so the question I want you to discuss at your table is how do you rationalize not forgiving someone and what does it consequently do uh, and consequently begin harboring bitterness? How does that happen? Because I think in order for us to work through some of that, we've got to understand how did that happen. Now, I know that some of you just got to know each other, so you may not want to go back and rehash something that you've walked through. So let's keep this generic on week one. How does a person get to a place where they say, I'm unwilling to forgive that person? Now, maybe you verbally said, I forgive you, but internally, you have not forgiven that person. How do we do that? How do we get to that point where we harbor that and that bitterness begins to, to build inside of us? How do we rationalize that? I want you to take just a few moments. I want you to think through how we do that. Take some time, do it right now. You know, all throughout scripture, we're called to love one another and we're called to forgive. Jesus was asked, and you've heard this so many times, what is the greatest commandment? He was asked by the Pharisees. This is Matthew 22. I think I've got it here for you. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. It says, and he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Listen to what Jesus said. He said it is a command that we love one another. So I want you think in your mind, just for a moment, if you were to do something that hurts somebody else, would you not want that person to forgive you? The answer is yes. The answer is yes every time. So the question is, are we willing to offer that same thing that we want in return? Jesus said to love them like you love yourself. Today, I got a call from my wife that said, uh, you're going to have to come home and deal with this. Now, how many of you want to call like that, okay? Everybody likes those calls, right? <laughs> and uh, I said, well, tell me what's going on. And she 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 had an appointment she had to get to, and she said, I left the kids at home, the alarm set, but you're gonna have to deal with it. My, my daughter had... Uh, well, she had disobeyed on twice in a row, and then she had really smarted off to my wife, and it, it just—it wasn't going well. And so I—I uh, I took a, a about a twenty-minute uh, break real quick, and I ran home. And uh, as I was as I was in the, I've got a recliner in my bedroom, and uh, so she was sitting in the recliner. I was sitting on the edge of my bed, and we're having this conversation, and there's a lot of tears being shed, and. And, and her voice would raise and, and, and we would calm back down. And, and so we had this conversation about the story of, of when Jesus said, if somebody asks you for the shirt off your back, give them your coat as well. If they ask you to carry something for a mile, carry it another mile. And we were having this conversation about don't just half-heartedly do something and think about other people before you do something. Because oftentimes we're just so selfish. I mean, I, Jason, I don't know, I'm, I'm selfish. And I said, the, the decision you made to disobey mama, I said, first of all, did it honor your mother? And she said, No. And I said, Secondly, was it a selfish decision? And she said, Absolutely. And I said, Well, I'm glad you understand the, the, the error of your ways. Are you going to do that again? And she said, Absolutely. <laughs> And I said, why? And she said, because the ki- the, the other, my, my brothers and sister, they could take care of themselves. And I said, okay, here's what's going to happen. Tomorrow morning when your mother wakes up, I'm going to tell her to get up, and I'm going to tell her to only fix dinner for her and I, because we are tired of taking care of y'all. And she said, well, that's not fair. And so we began having this conversation about thinking about other people, and then she said this. She said, you know, Dad, she said, Jesus thought about us, didn't he? That's what we got to get to we got to get to where we zero in on what Christ has done for us. And as we let that permeate in our minds, we let that come out of our lives. But it's difficult. Because I'm sure as you thought about this subject or you saw the subject on the book tonight, you thought to yourself, there's some people I can't forgive. I used to work in that office right there. And in the office right beside it was a man named Scotty Shouse. He was the minister of recreation here for years and years. And uh, he's just a mentor to me, just a godly man. I still talk to him about once a month. He lives in Tupelo now. And I was talking to him uh, one day, and he said, you know, Derek, he said, when I was at a church previously before Bellevue, he said there was a, a meeting that we had, and there were some deacons in there, and he said, I said something that I meant uh, no harm by, but one of the deacons in there took a major offense to. And he said, it's, at that time, he said, it's been 25 years. And he said, I call him every year on the anniversary of when that happened, and I try to apologize to him again. And he said, every year he says, I do not receive that. I do not receive that. I do not receive that. And for whatever reason, there was a hang-up with that guy that he was unwilling. And so I asked for the Scotty one day, I said, why do you keep calling? And he said, because the feeling I have of being free from what happened that day, I desire for him as well. Brandon, that's good. So when I think about this, I think about number one, we're commanded to do it. Matthew 6, 12 says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is the Lord's prayer. The disciples asked Jesus, said, teach us how to pray. Jesus doesn't have this four-chapter prayer. As a matter of fact, it's pretty concise. And one of the main things in there, one of the main things is there in there is, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. He talks about this idea of forgiveness. Matthew 6, 14 through 15, for if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Now, let that sink in for just a moment. Jesus Christ has said, if you don't forgive, I'm not going to forgive you. Let that sink in for just a moment. The God of all creation has said, if you're unwilling to do this, I will not do it. See, there are ramifications. There's ramifications to the decisions we make, and sometimes they're a whole lot bigger than we ever thought they would be. I was doing some uh, marriage counseling about three or four years ago, and uh, in that counseling session, it came out that uh, there was just some very major uh, unforgiveness that had not happened between this husband and wife. And uh, they've gone on and and divorced now. But during that process, I remember hearing him say, I will never forgive her for what she has done. And so I took him to lunch the next day. And I read him this verse. And it's one of the scariest things. It was the saddest things I've ever heard anybody say. He said, well, I guess I'm just not getting forgiven then. And he was unwilling to offer that forgiveness. Guys, I'm telling you, it builds a prison for you, and we've got to get rid of that out of our lives. So RT is in this moment, he's had this guy that's hurt him, he has just told his friend who's counseling him, you know, I, I, you know, I've just kind of, I guess, resorted to, I'm not going to forgive him, and this is what the guy says, RT, he interrupted, you must totally forgive them, release them, and you will be set free. And see what had happened in RT, with RT, Kendall is he had not realized that he himself was a captive to this unforgiveness. You may be sitting here today and, and thinking back and saying, you know, there's somebody in my life I've not forgiven for 30 years. Well, for 30 years you've been in bondage. You say, I don't like what you're saying to me. That's just the reality. You know, it's one thing to say, just man up, be a man, move on. That, I don't think that's really the biblical way to do it. Now, you know, if you get a bad haircut or something, move on, just get over it. It's going to grow back, well, for most of us. You know, you know, she cooks a bad meal. I mean, just get over it. You know, somebody doesn't like the shirt you're wearing. Get over it. You know, there's some things you just move past. But the reality is, if there's something you're harboring, there's something that comes back to your mind. Oh, I remember when. I remember when. I remember when. I was watching this. I think I've shown this before. I was watching a Dr. Phil. I was at the doctor one day. They only show house flipping and and Dr. Phil at the doctor's office. I, I don't understand it, okay? But that's all they show at the doctor's office. And so I'm watching this Dr. Phil, and I'm sitting there, and this lady who is like 54 years old. She's she's she has all these bad habits, and Dr. Phil said, Well, you know, where do you think this started? She said, I know where it started. She goes back to when she was five years old. Her daddy said this phrase to her, and she's hung on to it for 50 years. And he Dr. Phil looked, looked her right in the eyes and he said, well, don't you think after 50 years you could just let it go? And she said, no. I thought, man, for 50 years, this has literally controlled her life. I want you to understand this. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. You may have life and you may have it more abundantly. And I'm convinced today that more men are walking around in bondage, not just talking about pornography. I'm not just talking about financial bondage. I'm talking about even this type of this, this, unfor- this harboring unforgiveness. And a lot of guys are walking around in bondage. RT sa- This guy says to RT, you have to totally forgive. Now, we're going to find out as we get further along in the book, right towards the end. He says total forgiveness ends within your prayer life You are praying that the person that hurts you, you're praying for God's blessing on that person. Mason, that's how I knew I hadn't forgiven three different people in my life. Because I prayed for them. I prayed that God would deal with them. I prayed that God would convict them. And I prayed that God would take care of it. But this is where it hit me. When he says in the book, Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. Wow. Wow. And so I began to just pray, Lord, I don't even know where these people are. I have no idea. There's one guy I was bullied when I was in school as a a young man. His name was Daniel. I I, I knew Daniel pretty well. Went to school together for three years. He bullied me. and, and, and And I harbored that. And so when I read this book last year, I began to pray, Lord, I don't know where Daniel is. I can't find him on social media. I have no idea. But Lord, I just pray you'll bless him. And it is amazing the intimacy I had with the Lord over those next couple weeks. It was like the Lord, I'm not saying he spoke to me audibly. I'm not saying he you know, came down and we had breakfast together. I'm saying there was just this, this time where I'd open up the word, and it was like he was speaking to me. When I prayed, it was like I felt the presence of the Lord. You know why? Because I was obedient. I'm not bragging. It took me a lot of years to get to that point in this book, and this book to point me in that direction. But the Lord dealt with me on it. And it's amazing what he did in my life then. Well, let's turn it over to the table for a couple moments. And here's here's a question I want you to ask. Why is it so difficult to totally forgive someone and release them after they have hurt you? Why is that so difficult? Why do we hold on to it? It's amazing how if you ask somebody something, they'd become a historian. They could tell you the day of the week. They could tell you what clothes they were wearing. They could tell you what time of the year it was. It's amazing because we hold on to that stuff. Why? Why do we hold on to those things? I want you to talk about it for a few minutes around the table. All right, guys. You know, we talk about there being consequences to disobedience. In our home, uh, if you don't, if for those of you who don't know, I've got four children. They're seven, nine, eleven, and thirteen. So we're uh, a little busy. We deal with a lot of disobedience. I've got two girls and two boys, and uh, I would have told you six months ago my youngest, seven-year-old, had never sinned. That has since changed. Um, we just we're just walking through it right now. Okay, we're just walking through it. Uh, but we talk about in our home often that obedience is doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. It's a three-step process. It's doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. So you can do what you're told to do, but if you do it a year from now, that's disobedience, right? You can do what you're told to do when you're told to do it do it and have a horrible attitude, and that's, that's what we would call partial disobedience, partial disobedience to disobedience. Is that what the Lord desires out of us? Uh, let's take it a step further. If your boss were to tell you to do something and you threw a big fit about it and you started talking to everybody in the company about how horrible of a boss he was because he made you do this, but you still did it, you think you would stay there long or not be dealt with? No, no but nobody wants to be treated that way. And so when we look at this idea of, of not forgiving someone, first of all, it's commanded to us. So when we don't do it, we're walking In disobedience to the Lord. R.T. says this on page six. He says, I've come to the conclusion, this is another consequence, I've come to the conclusion that the primary way we grieve the Spirit in our lives is by fostering bitterness in our hearts. Something grabbed me in this particular statement because he says, I have come to the conclusion that the primary way we grieve the Spirit, we grieve the The Holy Spirit, we don't like to think about it, but you and I have the ability to grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't talk a lot about it, but that's just the reality. As a matter of fact, it tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another. Here it is, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. What does he say? What does Paul tell the church of Ephesus here? He says, Don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. How do we do this? Here it is, with bitterness, anger, and so forth. And then he says in that next verse, verse 32, But be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Just as Jesus demonstrated for you. How many of you are thankful God doesn't demand something out of us, he doesn't first demonstrate how to do? I am so thankful the Lord taught us how to pray. I'm so thankful the Lord taught us how to love our neighbor as ourselves. I'm so thankful that when we open scripture, he he gives us all of this stuff that we need on the day in and day out basis. And I'm so thankful that when it comes to this whole idea of forgiving, that he gave the ultimate gift of forgiveness when he forgave us for our sins. Our sins are supposed to be dealt with in a way that would separate us from God forever and ever. Yet he bridged that gap and he paid that for us. And so what R.T. says is he says one of the consequences of, to unforgiveness in our lives is that you and I when we are unwilling to forgive we actually grieve the holy spirit i've told many of you this before but when i was a little boy my dad whipped and uh, we had a we had a, a, a paddle that dude was huge uh, and uh, you know in a little 4-year-old 3-year-old mind i mean that thing was the size of one of those tables you know and and it wasn't just two little smacks and you were done i mean you got spanked okay And I can remember wanting to obey my father because I didn't want that paddle. But I can remember about 10, 11, 12 years old, I'm not for sure exactly where it was, but I can remember there being a switch one day in my mind. And it was all of a sudden I wanted to obey my father, not because I didn't want the whipping, but because I didn't want to sadden my father. I wanted to obey him because I wanted to honor him. Because of that love that had been given to me, I wanted to show him that love myself. So what happens is when we're unwilling to forgive, the Bible says that we grieve the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask this question. I want you to discuss it for a couple of us around your table because I sat down with a, a piece of paper when I read this book. And I thought, well, how did, what, what, is, what is that? What, what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? So here's the question to discuss. How does unforgiveness grieve the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? What does that mean in my life? What does it mean in your life? What does it mean that we've grieved the Holy Spirit? You say, well, I don't know if I really know the answer. Well, take some time around your table, discuss it. The Bible says as iron sharpens iron, one man does another. That's the point of table conversations. Not that you would come here and listen to me. I, I, I don't know everything. Not that you would come listen to an hour and 15-minute lecture but that we would actually sharpen one another, that we would encourage one another, that we would hold each other accountable. So I just want you to talk about it for a few minutes. How does unforgiveness grieve the Holy Spirit? Ready, set, go. I don't know what all you've discussed around your table. There's a quote on page 101 in this book that I'm gonna give you a sneak peek into a further chapter that we'll look at. But this is what R.T. Kendall says on page 101. He says, a refusal... To forgive means that God stands back and lets you cope with your problems in your own strength. Let me read it again. I don't have it on the screen. I apologize. A refusal to forgive means that God stands back and lets you cope with your problems in your own strength. How many of you want to be in that spot? How many of you are thinking about a situation you've been in or you're in right now and you think, that's the spot I'm in? I remember when my oldest son was pretty young. He was trying to open a bottle similar to this. It was a, it was a, uh, it was a, a bottle of Coke, and he was trying to open it up. And he was two or three years old. And I kept trying to help him. And he said, "Camden can do it." That's his name, Camden. Camden can do it. I kept saying, "Well, son, let, just let me help you." No, Camden can do it. And so finally, I said, "All right, bud, it's all yours." I just left. I went in the other room. I ate and drank mine, and. I came in there a little bit later, that sucker was so shaken up, been kicked all over the room, I mean, he had tried, you know, gnawing the side of it off, and he said, why didn't you help me? I said, I tried, you didn't want it. And I think to myself, oftentimes, this is what happens with the Holy Spirit. He says, oh, you know what's best? That's fine. And he'll let us do it on our own strength. How many of you know our strength is not good enough? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 It's just a great passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And I love this. He will direct your path. Don't you love that promise? He will direct your path. And those words in the Hebrew are so well defined. That word trust is a picture of someone putting their full body weight in a bed. You don't go to bed at night and kind of look the bed over and slide up in the bed and leave one foot on the ground. I mean, you just jump up on in there. You're ready to go to sleep. And it's got all your weight. You're trusting completely. That's that picture of trusting completely. You, it's, it's all your body weight. It's everything you have. That, that word lean gives a definition of like a crutch. And if anybody knows about crutches, it's me. I've got some cat daddy crutches if you ever need them too. I've got some really nice ones. I mean, they got hinges in two different places, extra padding. I mean, these are nice, okay? And and, and what it is, it's you can't put all your weight on a body part because there's pain there. And so you've got to lean on something else. And so what that picture of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is somebody says, I'm trusting in the Lord, but I'm leaning. I can't can't place all my trust there, so I'm leaning on my own understanding. Let me ask a question. Why would you and I as finite beings, as people that know just about that much about anything in the world, and God who is infinite and all-knowing and has all wisdom and has all power and has all authority, why would we ever lean on our own understanding? Why not lay it completely in him? And so he says in that, in that, uh, in, on page 101, he says, God will just step back and say, you got it, big boy. And how many of you know that's not a place you want to be? How many of you could think back? I can think back of a situation right now, not too long ago, where I wasn't only leaning on one crutch, I had two of them. And I was just going to town and the Lord would just step back and said, okay, let's see how it goes. That's not the place we want to be. He says on page 11, he says, the person who gains the most from forgiveness is the person who does the forgiving. I was in a situation when I was about 12 years old. I was probably about 10 years old. I had, a, I had a best friend. Now, it's a really long story that I won't bore you with on how we became best friends. Uh, he was making fun of me when we were younger, and, uh, and, and, and my mom called him. We didn't know each other. He was new to our church, and my mom called his mom and said, Listen, you got to deal with this, and, and she dealt with it. Trust me, she dealt with it because he came to church the next week, and he was crying, and he told me he was sorry, and we just became the best of buddies. And we were about 10, 11 years old, and there was a situation we were in, and, and I remember I said something that just hurt his feelings. I knew it hurt his feelings. You could see it on his face that it hurt his feelings, and it was in front of three or four other people. And so about two weeks went by, and and I was just eating up over it. But my pride, even as a 10, 11-year-old, was like, I'm not going to, you know, because of what he did, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. And I just eating at me and eating at me. And I kept thinking, finally one day I'm like, I'm 10, 11 years old. I'm like, man, if I feel this way, he's got to feel 10 times worse. And so after about two weeks, I went to him. I said, Chris, you remember that thing? And he said, oh, yeah, we were over at so-and-so's house. I said, yes. I said, I'm sorry, man. I should not have said that. And I said, it's just been eating at me. And I I just apologized for how, how bad you felt the last couple weeks. He said, are you kidding? I forgot all about it. And I realized then, even as a young boy, it's, it's you that suffers from that. And so what he says is, you're the one that will gain the most out of forgiving. So I want to ask you this question. How have you seen unforgiveness affect you personally? And maybe it's too early in the semester for you to get that personal at the table, So maybe you're going to use someone else. Maybe you've seen a family member or a friend that's been unwilling to forgive. How have you seen that affect them? Now, by the way, let me just caution you to say this. Uh, Doctors and psychologists will tell us that you can even suffer physically from this type of thing. It doesn't just affect the way you feel on the inside, it can affect the way you feel on the outside, it can affect the way you develop other relationships, it can affect the way you have conversation with people, it can affect the way you would reject anybody that tries to get past that wall right there, it can affect you in a lot of different ways. So how have you seen it affect you, or maybe it's somebody you know? I want you to talk a little bit about, just around the table, just for about three or four or five minutes, about how you've seen, because there are consequences. How many of you know there are consequences to all the decisions we make? By the way, there are consequences to eating whatever you want, as much as you want, and I've experienced that over the last year. And so about a week ago, I decided that was enough, Ronnie. I said, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm going I'm to lose weight, and I, I'm going to start working out. And so I started this thing on Monday, all right? I, now, this is day three, okay? Okay. There are consequences due to stupidity, okay? I'm eating better, but I started doing all these push-ups. I could not lift that curtain up there an hour ago because I am so sore. And when I was trying to get that thing up there, I'm thankful Bruce and Connor were here, and I thought to myself, man, there are consequences for everything we do. Good or bad, there are consequences to it. So how have you seen it affect you or someone else? Talk about it for a few minutes around the table, and then I'll close this up. Well, guys, let me let me just wrap up our time together tonight. I'll read you one more quote I don't have on the screen, but I'm, I'm telling you this book is just chock full of stuff. that RT just has a way of saying something that just makes you think differently. He says on page 102, the reason God treats you like an enemy. You say, whoa, God doesn't treat us like an enemy. Well, sometimes does it not feel like you're just kind of going back and forth Sometimes it feel like, God, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. You're not answering the prayer I want. You're not answering it the way I want to. It feels like we're on separate pages here. RT says, the reason God treats you like an enemy is because by not forgiving others, you're really saying, God, move over. I want your job. And I thought to myself when I read that, we wouldn't literally say those words, but there's just some, there's something about feeling like we're in control. There's something about, I don't like riding on the back of a four-wheeler. You know, I want to be the guy, I want want to be in control. I don't really care to ride in a car or a boat or something. I like to be the guy in control. Everybody's in here is like, that's right, right." and that's why we spend a lot of time by ourselves. We like to be in control, okay? Here's the reality. If we're honest with ourselves, if you're honest with yourself, there's probably somebody in your past that has done something That you may not have even realized until this moment, as we get ready to pray together, that you've harbored something inside that you shouldn't have. Do you not want to walk in complete freedom? Do you want to have, I I was praying, uh, what is today, Monday morning, I said, Lord, I just want to experience your presence in a way I've never experienced it before. And I think one of the steps towards that is making sure there's no unconfessed sin in our lives and there's no bottled up unforgiveness in our lives. That's a step in that direction. And so I want to ask you just to bow your heads for a moment. And I'm just going to pray a blessing over you. But I want you just to take a moment, and it's going to be silent. We're not going to play music in the background. And I know anytime you do this, especially, you know, in, in, in our society today and everything, you don't want to close your eyes, you, you know, you don't know what's going to go on. Around. I just want you not to worry about anybody else for a moment. I got Noah in the back. He's got his eyes open. He's got us. We're good. Him and Tony. I just want you to ask the Lord, and I did this yesterday morning as I was preparing for tonight. Lord, is there anybody in my life, past or present, that I've been unwilling to forgive. I've been unwilling to forgive. I want you to take just about 60 seconds in silence. And I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you is there anybody in your life that you need to forgive so that you can be released from something you may not have even known you were trapped in. Take just about 60 seconds. And I'll close us in prayer. Lord, it's very rare in our lives that we get completely silent. But Lord, you tell us in your word that it's in that still small voice you speak to us. And so, Lord, as we just come before you and we ask you to reveal to us anybody in our lives that we have been unwilling to forgive, or maybe we just didn't ever realize we never totally forgave. God, I pray that you'll reveal anybody like that in our lives. And Lord, they don't have to forgive them tonight, but God, I just pray over these next few weeks as we talk through what total forgiveness is and then we put some steps in place to totally forgive. God, I pray you will reveal whoever that is. Maybe it's a father. Maybe there's somebody in here that has a, has a hurt from their father that they've never forgiven. Maybe it's their mother. Maybe it's a sibling or an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a best friend that they have been hurt by. Maybe it was a significant other. Maybe it was a girlfriend. Maybe, maybe Lord, it was somebody they worked with. Maybe it was a business partner. Maybe it was a boss. Lord, I don't know what it and who it is. But, God, I pray for my own personal self. And also the men that are in this room. If there's anybody in our lives that we have not forgiven. Lord that you'll reveal that name to us. And then you'll begin to work in our heart to extend that forgiveness that you have extended to us. Thank you for these men. Lord most of all I thank you for your son Jesus Christ. That demonstrated for each and every one of us what total forgiveness really is. Bless these men tonight. We pray this in your precious name, amen.